Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Beko and my partner, Hari. Hello. Welcome to the second part of Sherian Williams. Uh, this episode, we are going to do a deep dive into their financials, the management, and the valuation. All right, let's get started. Yeah, this episode was literally like watching paint dry. So <laughs> uh, I'm sure everybody's as excited as Beko and I are to talk about paint. So, um, but I'll probably give a disclaimer first that, uh, we are, uh, the value investor TV podcast and we are not financial advisors, nor do we know your specific financial situation. So, uh, please consult with the appropriate advisor before, uh, making any financial decisions. Excellent. All right. So we were talking about Sherwin Williams, which, um, if you haven't heard of them, they make paint. Um, and in the previous episode, we had kind of talked about um, that they, their competitive advantage seemed to uh, focus on their brand uh, and a well-known brand for uh, almost 140 years. Um, we think that they have a pretty strong competitive advantage because there isn't a lot of competition in the paint uh, space. And they seem to have a dominant position in the North America uh, region. Um and we don't think that they're growing very much just because, um, you know, the paint market is only growing at about inflation. Um, but we we don't think that they require a lot of capital to maintain their business. Uh, and the only thing that we are concerned about potentially is that, um, you know, there's a regulatory hurdle that they have to keep clearing if, um, you know, if the EPA or states uh, change the regulatory environment. So um, that kind of summarizes where we were um so i you know we're going down our checklist that you can uh we follow on every one of our podcasts uh you can reach us at info at valueinvestor.org and get that pod uh, that checklist uh or join our slack channel and uh, chat with our other listeners okay so going back to our checklist uh becco um you know we talked about the uh the the capital uh, reinvestment, um, you know, how do we translate the moat that we talked about, which was a brand, uh, into a return on capital? Do they generate a high return on capital? Yeah. So again, I mean, this is pretty top of mind for us because we just recorded a podcast on return on capital, the importance of return on capital. So let's just uh, revisit that topic here with this company in mind. So in 2019, if we look at return on capital, uh, return on capital employed, uh, you're getting about 14%, return on invested capital about 11%. But you have to, again, this is why we emphasize that you have to look at multi-year statistics. You, you, have, to, you have to look at these numbers in, in a wide, you know, in a, in a broader window than just a single year. If you, if you do that calculation back in back from say 2011 2012 2013 and onward you'll see something quite interesting that number return on capital employed went up all the way up to 44 percent in 2016 44 percent which is really respectable for a company that makes paint i mean you you wouldn't think that right but it's it, you know they make really good high returns on invest capital employed but what happened what happened in between 2016 and 2019 it dropped from 44% to 14%. And again, revisiting the formula, re return on capital employed is EBIT on the top, 
And what you do on the bottom is you subtract total assets minus current liabilities to get capital employed. What happened was the bottom, the denominator, denominator really shot up really quite quite high. And the reason for that is because they acquired a company. They acquired a big, big company for about $11 billion. And so the total asset went up from six total asset went up from six point seven billion dollars dollars to about twenty billion dollars. So the denominator really went up while the numerator didn't go didn't didn't increase as much as the as the denominator. Therefore the ratio capital uh, a return on invested capital uh, didn't uh, didn't didn't stay at forty four percent. It came down to ten percent, and then it rose. It, it slowly rose up to about fourteen percent. So right now it's sitting at about fifteen fourteen percent. And with that that acquisition, um, which lowered their return on capital, did you know? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Like what what was the reason for buying it, and um, or who who was it, and you know what was their their logic? Yeah. So they bought this company called um, Valsper. Valsper. Okay. Do you, are you familiar with them? Yeah, or? I mean they're they're one of the the big competitors in paint. So that seems to I think that answers my question. But but go ahead. Yeah, it, they bought them for about eleven billion dollars. Uh, to swallow a company like this, they had to take a lot of debt. Okay. Uh, they had to take a lot of debt. In fact, so in two thousand sixteen, their long term debt was under two billion dollars and after the acquisition it went up to about eight, uh, 9.8 billion dollars so quite a substantial jump in the, in the debt area okay. right there but and we'll talk about this in the subsequent questions but they've been doing doing a good job consistently of paying down the debt so it peaked at 9.8 billion dollars in 2017 as soon as they acquired the company and they've been slowly paying things off so now it's sitting at around eight billion dollars in debt this is only long. This is only long-term debt, right? We're not talking about leasing and things like that. Just long-term debt. And if you look at the top-line growth, uh, it was at around eleven billion dollars when they acquired the company. Before they acquired the company, and now it's sitting at a, at around eighteen billion dollars. So pretty big so. jump uh, for them in terms of revenue. Yeah, exactly. It was a huge jump. Um, it was pretty steadily growing at around you know eleven billions, around eleven billions for a long time, for three years, four years, and then it jumped to yeah fourteen, fifteen, and then now seventeen, almost eighteen. Okay, um, well let's while we're talking about the financials, let's ask a few more questions about that. Um, you know, does the cat company have enough cash uh, we've uh, to maintain its business? Yeah. So to answer that question, you know, we look at current ratio as well as just at that level and how that relates to the free cash. So if you look at the current ratio, it's consistently been around one. Uh, I mean, right now it's sitting at exactly at one. So in terms of short-term cash requirements, I think they're doing all right, doing okay. Uh, in terms of straight-up cash on their books, they have about hundred hundred sixty million dollars on their books. So not not a lot really for a company like this, $160 million just sitting in cash for a company that does about $18 billion in business, top line. Um, so cash cushion, not, there isn't much. I mean, if I look at this, it went down to like, in 2014, they only had around, had a, had, had only uh, about $40, billion, $40 million in cash cushion. So I would like to see that number go up a little bit, but 
that's that's that. And if you look at the uh, free cash flow to debt, you know we want that ratio to be below three, right? So you're able to be able you're able to service and provide not only service but really pay off in print the principal amount in three years, right? And the 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 ratio that I get right now is five point two. And you know before that, before the acquisition, they were quite good. Uh, it was uh, one point eight. So they levered up quite a bit to swallow this company. But again, the good thing is that that ratio what peaked at peaked at 2017 at 6.3 and has gone down to 5.2. So what what was their pre-acquisition of Valspar? What was their free cash flow? Free cash flow was one point, sorry, uh, pre-acquisition about a billion dollars. Okay, so they now we're talking about 2 billion. So they doubled in free. So cash. they doubled their free cash flow with the acquisition. So um, they paid eleven billion dollars to get an ex- extra one billion per year. Is that mm-hmm. is, a, is that a fair yeah. measurement? So I mean yeah. that's not not terrible. I mean in terms of uh, you know, and it takes a competitor off the market. So um, yeah. Okay, but that's that's free cash flow, right? That's the better measurement. If you look at the price, uh, you know, PE. Yeah. It's about twenty-eight billion, or sorry, twenty uh, P, uh, twenty PE of twenty-eight, rather. Sorry. Okay. Because um, the revenue jump was uh, the sorry the net income jump uh, uh, before acquisition it was again around a billion dollars and after the acquisition one point five. Okay. So a modest increase, modest increase of four hundred million dollars in net income with the acquisition. Okay. Well, let's keep. Uh we're going to talk a little bit about management here to see, um, you know, the, this company has, you know, it sounds like it has generates solid cash flow, but it may not be. We'll have to see how it compares to their market cap uh, in a in a minute. But we let's first of all, since this company is not really growing, let's talk about management and what are they doing with our cash. Um, but but first, you know, um, is management properly incentivized to protect shareholders interests um, and you know I, I the since this company is 140 years old they're probably not run by their founder um, but is there anybody that has a significant portion of his or her wealth uh, associated with Sherwin Williams yeah so this is where I get really excited actually if you look at the executive ranks many 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 are old-timers lifers with this company Okay. For example, the CEO joined the company since 1984. That's CEO. He's also the chairman. Uh, CFO joined since 1990. Uh, SVP of corp, uh, corporate uh, corporate uh, controller joined since 1980, 1989. SVP of HR joined since 1983. So these are pretty old timers uh, who are running the company. And I suspect that their wealth is pretty much tied to the company. Unless you know, obviously they come from big, you know, big money or something like that. But I suspect that they have a lot of their wealth tied to the company stock. Uh, so, you know, a- as you mentioned, this is not a company that's recent. They've been around hundred, you know, hundred forty years. But I think this is as 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 good as it can get in terms of uh, executives. So, can you tell us a little bit about how their uh, compensation structure is? Uh, for for Sherwin Williams. For yes, yeah, so yeah, 
Yeah, for the CEO specifically. The CEO, uh, so 90% of his comp uh, is, uh, is stock-based. And the performance metric they look at is uh, share price, EPS, and there's one, one more thing that I keep. I didn't, I didn't write down, but there was one, one more. And I need to do a thorough research before I tell you guys anything. But when I glimpsed at it, um, I, I, I thought that they could have done a better job of pegging their performance to uh, financial health metrics, meaning things like, um, you know, things like, uh, things like, um, you know, like ROIC, for example. Um, you know, as we as we mentioned, ROIC, uh, you know, dropped from forty five percent to fourteen percent. If you had, if they included something like that, I think that could have been that could have been nice as well. Do you think that the uh, you know do you think that they ha- since they seem to be pretty asset light before, are they going to mm-hmm. slowly divest of Valspar? Um, you know, the assets that Valspar has to just kind of get them under, you know, to be more capital light. Um, yeah, exactly. I think that is that is the that it was the intent. So I looked at their I looked at their press release back in 2017 when they acquired this company. This is exactly what they said. Sharon William expects to achieve 320 million dollars of annual run rate synergies in the areas of sourcing, SGNA, and process and efficiency savings within three years. The company also expects this transition to be immediately lucrative uh, to earnings. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But yeah, so bottom line, 300, 320 million dollars of annual runway synergy in areas of sourcing, SGNA, and processing and efficiency savings. Okay. Well, um, so not necessarily a red flag, but it could be better on the the management um, incentive structure. But let's look at their um, capital uh, that they've been. You know, what have they been doing with free cash flow? Are they doing buybacks, dividends? little mm-hmm. of both um is there anything we should be you know we should know about that All right so one of the things that i begin to look at is this ratio right and i talked about this with uh, mcdonald's it's this ratio of total total shareholder return divided by free cash flow so the total shareholder return is just summation of dividend and then stock buyback and divide that by free cash flow and you want that number to be below one right you want people to be doing these things with free cash flow so that you don't tap into the lifeblood of the company. So if you look at that number, it's been consistently below one for the most part. I mean, you got one year that blip, uh, blipped over one, over one, but mostly it's been under under one, which is, which is good. If you look at the actual amount, absolute amount, dividend, they've consistently been paying out dividend. Uh, last, just last year, they paid out $420 million in dividend and stock buyback of $624 million. And what's exciting about this is that, again, going back to the income statement, if you look at the earnings growth, again, this is one of the classic examples of shareholder cannibal. If you look at earnings growth over the last 13 years, earnings grew at around 13% compounded annual growth rate. If you look at EPS, that grew at around 16% annually. You might think that 3% is no big difference but if you compound that over 10 years it actually can lead to a pretty sizable difference and that's what you get with this company eps grew from 
let's see, back 10 years, uh, 2010, was $4, uh, $4.25 per share, and it's now EPS of 16, 17. So going back to your question of, of share buybacks and how they've done it, uh, this, this is what they've done. Okay, so they've they've got a, you know, and they've also paid a dividend in that time, which could have been honestly better suited for buying back, doing buybacks, depending on the, the mm-hmm. price. Um, but yeah. the, the overall return would be higher also because of the dividend uh, payment too. Precisely. Yeah, so it's yep. not just the 13%, but you would be getting a cash payment uh, as well. Okay, okay. Um, do you see any red flags as far as the management's uh, communication? Do you think that they're open and honest uh, about how they communicate with shareholders? Yeah, as far as as far as I can tell, uh, no red flags that I can see from here. Okay, well then let's just move on to the the all important question. You know, are they cheap enough for us to buy? Uh, so can you give us your um, your estimates and what you think? you know, Sherwin Williams is worth based on, you know, what, and what your assumptions are that went into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, let's take a look. So initial free cash flow of about $2 billion. And I estimated the growth rate to be, again, this is with buybacks and everything else. Uh, So so one thing about buyback that I want to comment is that during COVID-19, they sort of pause the open market share purchase during the second quarter. Uh, because I thought it was appropriate to reserve cash in case of downturn and things like that. But now I think they're giving giving it another look, uh, starting in third quarter and fourth quarter. In fact, they just reported a pretty pretty good return on the last quarter. They just reported it last uh, last week. Yeah. So I think they're going to resume buyback. Okay. Having said all that, because of that, I think the growth rate we can say it's going to be uh, about fifteen percent for the next uh, for the next three uh, three years. And uh, you know, I I I said that it'll it'll come down to about thirteen percent, and then ten percent as the terminal growth rate. And then so discount rate again, we always use ten percent for discount rates. If you run the numbers, uh, you get intrinsic value of about two hundred fifty dollars. Again, as you all got, as you guys know, if you have if you ever done discounted cash flow, you can really fool yourself with these complex math, you know, complex calculators. But that's the assumption, right? Fifteen percent. Growth rate in the first thir- uh, first uh, three years, thirteen percent, thirteen percent three years after that, and then ten percent after that, you get about you, and after that you get about two hundred fifty dollars per share. Right now, it's trading at six hundred and fifty PE of you know thirty. Yeah, and about the same in terms of free cash flow or price to free cash flow, so about thirty. Yeah. So it's not cheap by any stretch of the imagination not cheap (laughs) um exactly and you know i I think there's also some issues there that uh, at some point your free cash flow is going to have to go to paying uh, paying down the debt um you know they may have to sell some assets in order to get um you know I, i would like them to sell some of those assets maybe that'll help pay off some of the debt um but you know you you have a lot of money that's uh you know, is going to generate interest and so forth that you have to worry about. Um, yeah. So to me, it seems like, you know, I, I would like to see them at substantially lower price because you're not going to see much in the way of 
top line growth long term. So a- yeah. any growth you're going to get is is through share buyback. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and just on the on the note of the debt, uh, you know, they don't have any substantial amount of money due until until like twenty. Well, I guess twenty twenty. 2020 2022 okay uh they have about about 700 due then uh yeah this year they have about 400 due but they've been paying off debt pretty at least for the past three years pretty consistently yeah but it's also money that you're i mean 400 million would be nice to have in your pocket right to you know or to be used for dividends and buybacks uh, and, yeah. and now it's being spent on um, yeah. debt, debt payment. payment. So mm-hmm. um, you you essentially traded uh, you know money now for a longer term you know hassle. And it, I, I think honestly it wasn't a bad acquisition. Um, you paid eleven times cash flow for it, um, but you still have you know you're still going to have some significant amounts of debt to to pay down. Eleven or yeah, something around there. So it wasn't a bad one. I think it's now time to digest it, make sure you divest some of the assets and make it more streamlined and things like that. So well, and if if we were to you know get it, if the stock price were to plummet, um, you know below that margin of safety price, you know the the one thing I would be concerned about is that if management goes and makes another acquisition, um, you know with debt. Uh, that would be the the big concern for me. Um, you know, it may be beneficial, it may help with cash flow, but it, it, the the biggest risk to me is, um, you know, you bought Valspar for eleven times earnings, you're trading at thirty times earnings. So, to me, you would have to be buying this company at you know five or six times earnings for it to be cheap, relative to what Valspar, you know, a very similar company would would be, right? Mm-hmm. So. Um, it's not not so easy for me to see that as a you know this this will take a significant drop in price for it to to get there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, especially with the intrinsic price at this point, and then you know trading price at six hundred, yeah, two times more, three times more. One thing that could be interesting is if they issued, uh, you know, if they issued, uh, if you, if they sold more of their shares out in the market because it is, you know, well priced. Yeah, they could pay out, pay down to that that way. That's certainly an option. Um, you know, I, I think it, it 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 would be feasible to do that. Um, I I think the the biggest thing to me is that this company is just overpriced right now. And you know, if they were to make an acquisition, I think they should they could potentially do it with shares also, right? Instead of yeah. using debt. So same same thing. Um, yeah. But exactly. Anyway, I I think the the interesting things here, you know, simple business. It's uh, as you mentioned in the last episode. If this is new, if you're new to you know investigating companies and 10Ks and so forth, this may be a great business for you to start with. Um, you know, I think on that list is also Skechers. Um, you know, NVR was a very simple business. Um, Southwest Airlines is kind of a simple business to understand. A um, little more complicated is Southwest, but Sherwin Williams sounds like a good starter company to to start with. Uh, and yep. do your own homework, go through the checklist, uh, and find out. Yeah, exactly. 
Okay. Anything else you want to add, uh, Beko, before we close out? Uh, no. Oh, I guess one kind of interesting fact, uh, you know, during COVID-19, people have been painting a lot. <laughs> uh, you're at home all day, so you got nothing else yeah. to do, I guess. Yeah, people are picking up their home, you know, their, their projects that they wanted to pick up a long time ago, and now finally, they finally have time to do it. So people are out there buying paint and things like that. Yeah, breathing, so in, it was, it was a, breathing in the paint fumes uh, in their, yeah, that's, at home. That's exactly what they want during COVID. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, it was a boon quarter for them. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting which businesses have kind of hit it done well during covid you know tech companies and uh sherwin williams uh you know other companies like mcdonald's uh, got hit pretty hard um mm-hmm. disney is getting hit really hard because of yeah um so a lot of things are are shifting here um so but uh, you know and you would think the airlines would be hit harder than they are but they've seemed to mostly be back to normal in terms of stock price but not revenue so yeah so yeah, we we live in interesting times. Uh, you know, I think um, there are a lot of companies that are like Sherwin Williams that are trading well below above their 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 value, and mm-hmm. you know it, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when the market finally understands you know or, or tries to price these correctly. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, interesting company. Encourage everyone to look at it especially beginners, I think it's a good company to start with. All right. Well, last thing I'll leave you all with is um, if you would like to interact with us, uh, get this checklist or join our Slack community, please email us info at valueinvestor.org. We'd happy to talk to you, answer your questions, uh, invite you to our channel and um, have interact with all of our other listeners. So uh, thank you very much for listening. We really appreciate it. And Uh, We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, everyone.